Well, good morning. Welcome. It's great to be here with you all again. If you'll join me, we'll go ahead and open up in a word of prayer, and then we'll get into this. So, Father God, we just come before you again, uh, just grateful in this time of Thanksgiving, uh, just for everything that you've done, just as we've remembered right now, that is based on the sacrifice that you made by giving your son. Uh, we're, we're so grateful for that, God. We're grateful that you uh, continue to speak to us this day through your word. And so, God, I just pray that as we get ready to be in your word, as we just uh, see what you have to say, may we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. God, may we just draw near to you in this time. May we open our hearts to what you have to say. Transform us and mold us. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray this. Amen. Does anybody like change? I mean, like, honestly, I love change. Anybody else? Like, you're my people? Row. One person likes change. Everybody else is like, no, don't change anything. Like, if they change my menu at my favorite restaurant, it drives me crazy. Is everybody like that? Like, I, when I was growing up, I used to always change the layout of my room, like, every six months, it seemed. Because I wanted something fresh and new. I mean, I, the truck that I currently have, longest vehicle I've owned is like five years now. Because otherwise it was buy, sell, buy, sell. I love change. And I love change because it's new. I love something new. I love just seeing what, especially in gadgets. And like uh, just the whole new technology world really amazes me and interests me. Like the other day I went to uh, US Cellular, went in just to see if I could get more cellular data and I left with a new phone because it was like new they said this is the new phone and I was like sweet I love new something has changed let me get the newest and the latest and I'll tell you what I got the new phone and the only thing that changed about it was the shape it's still called the same numbers it still like had the same layout there really was nothing new and improved about it maybe a camera pixel or so i don't know but not a lot changed about it and that's really how everybody advertises stuff to us right i mean new and improved the new toyota tacoma boy it's way better than the old one the new uh whatever it is new phone new crock pot new microwave they all do the exact same thing pretty much I mean, now we have cars that drive themselves. I guess that's a new improvement, but they wreck too, so I'm better than that. But anyways, uh, not really. But, uh, you know, like we're all about new and improved, but nothing's really ever new. There's little details here and there that are changed, but nothing really in the grand scheme of things is totally new, except for what we get to talk about this morning. I'll tell you, I'm excited about this message this morning because I love the topic that it is talking about. Because when Jesus came and he said, I came to make things new, he didn't just mean you're still going to have a little bit of this. It's going to be the same processing. It's going to be a little bit of the old, but we're going to add a couple things and change a couple things here. But he said, I came and I'm making it completely new, entirely new. And we've been looking through the series in Hebrews where we've been seeing that Jesus is better. Jesus is better than the angels and the prophets. Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus is better than the priests in that we can go directly and confidently to God. And today we're going to see 
that when Jesus gave his life, when he died on that cross and said, it is finished, he came to institute a new covenant, a better covenant. Because Jesus is better than the Old Testament, the old covenant, the old law. And so we're going to look at three things about this. We're going to see how Jesus gives us a fresh covenant. Jesus gives us a forgiving covenant. And Jesus gives us a freeing covenant. And last week we saw how Jesus is the better high priest. And that ushers in, because he is a better high priest, he also brings a new covenant. If you'll stand as we read our passage this morning, it's Hebrews chapter 8. We're going to cover 8 through 9, but we're just going to read the first six, six verses of Hebrews chapter 8. He says, now the point that we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. But as it is... Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better since it is enacted it, since it is enacted on better promises and in verse 13 he says in speaking of a new covenant he makes the first one obsolete and what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away thank you you may be seated and so we see that when Jesus gave his life on the cross, that was where this new covenant entered in. And it's a fresh covenant, which is a fancy way of saying new. I went for alliteration, so I said fresh. You could replace that with new. That Jesus offers us a fresh, new, entirely new, based on all new concepts. The old, as it said in Hebrews 13, is obsolete. And this new one is entered in through his blood. Matthew 26, verse 28. Jesus, as he is instituting the Lord's Supper, he says, This is my blood of the covenant. This new covenant being entered in through my blood, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So as Jesus is hanging on that cross and he is pouring out literally every drop of blood that the only thing that comes out when they pierce his side is water, he shed it all and he with his last breath said, it is finished. The old covenant, the covenant based on your merit, based on trying to measure up, based on your effort and your sacrifices was gone no longer in effect that is finished and the new covenant issued through his blood is taking place based on who he is based on what he has done this means merit-based salvation is no more merit-based salvation was never really a thing it was like God gave us the law to show us this is the standard you should live by if you want to receive salvation live by that standard we can't there's 10. We fail with all 10. 
Because if it's like, well, I'll look at the Old Testament, don't kill, don't uh, steal, don't commit adultery, I can do all of those. Whereas Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount actually says, if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery. If you tell your brother, I hate you, then you've pretty much already committed murder. And so right there, we see we cannot achieve any of these. We're going to fail over and over. But what happens and what I see it being is it's kind of like if, if you're married or you're in a relationship, you know, you get in that fight when you're the one that did it wrong. You're the one to blame. I'm all too familiar with that concept. Where you are the one that stuck your foot in your mouth and then it's like, oh, crud. There is a rift between us. So what I'm going to try and do is, hey, sweetie, sugar, I love you. I'll buy you 12 dozen roses and that new car that you want, and you name it, we'll get it. Because I want to make things right, so I'm going to do whatever it takes to make things right. I messed up. What can I do to make things right? That's what it was like under the Old Testament law, where it was like, man, we sinned. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so it's like, God, I know I've fallen short. I mean, I, I just said, I hate that guy. That's murder in my heart. I know I have sinned. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to offer sacrifices, and I'm going to try and make things right with you. And I'm going to, I'll do better next time, God. Anybody make that promise? That was the last time, God. Never again. I will do better. And then we find ourselves in the same vicious cycle. And that's kind of the basis of the Old Testament law. Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 1. It tells us it's all based on obedience, behavior. It says, if, notice those words, if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. If you do this, this is what God will do. Then verse 15 of the same chapter. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God or be careful to do all his commandments and his statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. Hey, if you obey, if, if you're obedient, then blessing will come upon you. But if you break these, then there's a curse to come. And it's like you just see, and even through there, the 14 verses in between, you see, if you do this, blessing. If you do this, curse. If you, if you, it puts a lot of the weight on you if you're able to live perfectly. You know, we're told that in the Old Testament. In Leviticus, it actually tells us, therefore be perfect as God is perfect. How many have done that? How many want to live under that kind of law? Where you're constantly like, which sin just eliminated me from perfection? <laughs> the first one. And there's no coming back from it. The moment you sinned and fell short, which Romans tells us all have done, the moment you have that thought, you look at that image, you take that pencil, you whatever it is that God tells you not to do, and you do it. And James even says, if you know the good you ought to do and you don't do it, that is a sin. So even the sin of passivity, that right there eliminates you from perfection. That first sin carries on for the rest of your life under the Old Testament. That you are not perfect. Just one alone. James 2.10 tells us that whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one little point 
becomes guilty of it all. Whoever has fallen short in one area, and we like to do the second half. We're like the, the rich young ruler whenever Jesus is addressed by him, and he's like, hey, good teacher, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus says, well, you know what the law says. Honor your father and mother. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't lie. Don't covet. And he's like, sweet, I have done all of that. And then Jesus is like, yeah, but you're failing at the first three or four. Math is not strong. You're failing at the first half. We'll go there. You're not making the Lord your God. You're not making him number one in your life. You're making your family. For him, it was he's making his riches. He's making his possessions. And so right there, we all are guilty and have fallen short. And that one moment you fall short is the moment that you have lost it. If it is based on your merit, the bar that is set is perfection. And the moment you fall short, you are deserving of hell. I mean, point blank, you are deserving of hell based on the old covenant of perfection. Nobody is going to be able to do it. And that's the problem with the old covenant even is that not really that there's a problem with it, but it was based on external behavior. Jesus had some severe words for Pharisees because they thought we're perfectly keeping the Old Testament law. God, we are so zealous for your law. We took your 600 and added a couple hundred more. That's how zealous we are for it. It's all based on external behavior. It's like the little girl that was riding in a car with her mom, and she's standing up on the car seat, and her mom is like, hey, you need to sit down. And she's like, uh-uh, not going to do it. And her mom said, you need to sit down. She said, no. Her mom thwapped her on the backside, said, sit down. She sat down. And then she said to her mom, I might be sitting on the outside, but I'm standing on the inside. It's all about the heart. And it's like, hey, according to the law, she obeyed. But when Jesus came and gave a sermon on the mount, he dug so much deeper than external behavior. He said it is about your heart. And under the law, it is not based on internal change. It's based on external behavior. Jesus says this to the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 23. Woe to you scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Pharisees, pretty much religious people who think they could do it on their own. He said, you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside you are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and plate, that the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly you appear beautiful, but within you are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within... You are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. It's like you obey the law, but really, you're missing the entire point. You have all these external behaviors, but your hearts are far from God. We're actually told that in Isaiah chapter 29, 13, where the Lord says, Because this people draw near to me with their mouth, and they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. I mean, it'd be like in today's equivalent. You come to church, you sing the songs, you say the religious stuff, you leave, but your hearts are nowhere near God. You leave and you are not being conformed to what God says. But you're like, I, I checked off all these boxes, but my heart is wicked and deceitful. Where God says, I want to change you from the inside out. That is the ushering in of the new covenant. 
an entirely new covenant where the old is gone and the new has come. He even spoke about it in the Old Testament. I, uh, Hebrews chapter 8, starting in verse 8 through verse 12, is a word-for-word -word quote of Jeremiah 31, where God says, Behold, the days are coming when Jesus comes, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant, notice a repetition of these two words, I will, being God will do this. For this is the covenant that I will make with them. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Old covenant, if you. New covenant, mm -mm, not based on if you, based on I will. I will put a new heart inside you because under the law, you're not able to give yourself a new heart. Instead, what Paul tells us is that I didn't know what coveting was until the law came. And then it showed me my sin. The law showed me my need for a savior. And that I was unable to do it on my own. And then God comes in and says, I will give you a new heart. I will take your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will forgive your iniquities and I will remember them no more. And I will teach you and I will be a God to you. I will do all this for you. It's why Paul tells us in Romans chapter 12, he says, excuse me. He says, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but instead be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's inside. It's, it, it takes a heart change. That's why so many people that like are like, well, I'm just gonna change my life. Fall, like a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool returns to his folly. Because they're not allowing God to change them from the inside out. They think I'll change my external behaviors. You can't. I've tried enough on my own to realize it's not going to happen until you surrender to God through the sacrifice that Jesus made, and then he gives us a new heart. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14, it says that how much more, because it's like, you know, the blood of bulls and goats, yeah, they might cleanse your conscience, or they, they might not even cleanse your conscience. They'll give you an outward cleansing. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience, our inner being, our heart and our mind and our soul from dead works to serve the living God? And then Paul says, therefore, if anyone is in, is in Christ, he is a new creation. Again, entirely new. The old is gone, the old has passed away, behold, the new has come. And the reason all this is, is because it is based on the work of Jesus. Again, old covenant, if you, new covenant, I will, I have, because of who God is. And notice, it is before obedience can take place. Old covenant based on obedience, new covenant, the blessing comes before 
obedience can even happen. Ephesians 1 is where I get that. In verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, and he chose us before the foundation of the world. It's like before the foundation of the world, God said, I'm going to bless this people through Jesus. Before, Romans tells us, while we were still sinners, while we were still opposing God, while we were actually still enemies of God, Christ died for us. The blessing came through his obedience, not through our obedience. It happened before because it is a new blessing. Because again, in Jeremiah 31, Hebrews chapter 8, this new covenant is based on God will do the work. Not based on us doing anything other than receiving it in faith. Trusting God at his word. You know, in the old covenant, it was based on your works. The new covenant is based not on your works that you have ever done, that you are currently doing, or that you ever will do. But it is based solely on the work that God has already done. Jesus shedding his blood for us says this is the blood of the new covenant Not your blood not your sweat not your toil his blood his sacrifice Because he offered in a fresh new covenant And man, I love this second part his covenant is a forgiving covenant a forgiving covenant. Under the old covenant, sacrifices covered your sins. They couldn't really do anything internally. They cleansed the outside, but it took something much more than that to clean the inside. Hebrews 9, verse 9. It says, according to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper. So they would come and they would offer this bull, this bull or this goat or this pigeon or they would offer something to try and make things right with God but they could never have their conscience perfected. But under the new covenant, Jesus comes in and he says, I am forgiving their sins because he offered it once and for all. Hebrews nine twenty four. it says, for Christ has entered not into the holy places made with hands, which are copies of true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Verse 25. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly, over and over, as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood, not his own. But Jesus gave his own blood once and for all. Him saying it is finished means the old covenant is finished, the new covenant is come, and that the daily sacrifices are done. Because his one and for all sacrifice covers everything. He brought redemption for mankind. Verse 12 of Hebrews chapter 9. It said, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Verse 15, therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. And then again, verse 25 and 26. 
nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own for then he would have to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world but as it is he appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself and in that ushered in forgiveness for sins we are forgiven and when you place your faith in him you're forgiven of all sins past, all sins present, all sins future. God has forgiven you because of the blood of Jesus. I mean, anytime that you feel guilt come upon you, it's not from God. Like, I've struggled with this a lot, in all honesty. You know, I mean, we, we call Satan in Revelation 12, it calls him the great, de uh, not deceiver, the great accuser. It says that, you know, he's, he's coming, and not even him, myself, remembering, like, lies that I've said in the past, and remembering things that I've done in the past, and remembering just betrayals that I've done in the past, and all of that just flooding upon me, especially in moments of weakness, where it's like, man, wretched man that I am, who's going to save me from this body of death? Because these floods of memories come flooding upon me and it just starts beating me up. And it's like, God, why are you bringing this back up? Like, God, I feel like I need to repent of it again and come before you again and just like fall back to the old way of God, man. I'm going to try harder. I'm going to do better to be a better man for you, God. I'm going to push myself a little bit harder. And it's that slavery, that bondage of guilt that comes upon us. And that is not from God. Because this week as I was reading this, it just hit me. The last part of Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12, where God says, I will be merciful toward their iniquities and I will remember their sin no more. You see, God not only forgives, because we have a lot of forgiving people in here. Christians are called to forgive. The human downfall is we don't forget. As much as we say, forgive and forget, we don't do it. We like to hold on to it. We like to be like, mm, I'm not really going to trust them. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on you, me. Whatever the verse is, uh, strike three, you're out. Um, it's just like, we like to do that. But we're there it says that God remembers no more. And it's not a passive, like, you know, I forget dates sometimes, and I forget a lot of information, and I forget things where it's just like, oh, overload, and then something comes back to my memory, and it's like, whoa, totally forgot that on accident. That's not how it is with God. Instead, God actively remembers no more. It is a action on God's behalf to remove our sins from us. To say, I'm not going to remember what you did. Not just I'm going to forget, but no, I'm casting it away. I'm not going to draw it to memory anymore. I'm not going to hold it against you. I'm not going to bring it back up. It says, I will remember their sins no more. He intentionally remembers our sins no more. Psalm 103 says, he does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. 
I mean, God says, as far as the east is from the west, they never come back together. That's how far I'm removing your sin from you. I'm never going to someday down the road be like, hey, I'm going to pull this one and we're just going to stick that right back on him. And that's how he's going to be labeled. The liar, the thief, the betrayer, whatever it is. He doesn't do that. The blood of Jesus comes upon us and God says, I am going to remember their sins no more because he has ushered in a forgiving covenant, a whole new one. And then lastly, to know that God removes our guilt from us. Not only does he remove us, remove our guilt from us and leave us empty, he says, I'm gonna give them the righteousness of Jesus. They're this, but I'm going to change all of that. Remove guilt, give Jesus' righteousness. And when we realize that, we realize that Jesus offers a freeing covenant, a covenant of freedom. You see, the old covenant was a covenant of bondage. Just imagine being in that situation where, I mean, it's kind of like the reward system. If you're a teacher, you know, it's like, hey, if you guys are good, we'll give you extra 10 minutes of recess. But if you're bad, we're knocking 10 off. Imagine if that's how it was with God. Like, hey, if, if, if you don't cuss ever again, then I'll give you an extra 10 years of eternal life. But if you're bad, I'm sending you down to hell. I mean, if it was based on that, like I would be freaking out. Because I might never actually verbalize words but you stab your toe and everybody realizes, mm, I'm not perfect. There is an evil heart in here and I wish that was a joke, but it's not. It's not based on that. Imagine if God was in heaven keeping tally of all our sins. Man, they just thought that about that person. Put it on the tab. They just said that, put it on there. I mean, it, burdening. Again, which sin's gonna eliminate you from hell? If you're living under that old sin, but we're religious people, so we like to think, well, not those first 5,000, not the next 5,000, but maybe, you know, the 10,000th, I don't know. If you play that game, it becomes so burdening. And Jesus says, I came to set you free from that. I came to set you free from all of that. Paul, he knew what he was talking about. Romans chapter seven, he said, likewise, my brothers, you have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive. It's no longer merit-based, so that now we can just serve God. We may serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. You see, the old covenant showed us that we're not perfect. And it leaves you with the question that Paul asks at the end of Romans chapter seven, who is gonna save us? Because I can't save myself. I've tried and I'm gonna fall short. And I'm gonna fall short. Who's gonna save me? from this body of death. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ and the sacrifice that he made. He is the one that saves us. He is the one that brings us eternal life. It all points to him. The law exposed our imperfections and revealed our need for a savior. And when Jesus came, he was that savior. He is that savior. 
and he sets us free. Free from the bondage of sin, free from the power of death, and free from the struggle of trying to earn God's favor. Because you can't. Romans chapter 5 verse 1. For freedom, Christ has set you free. For freedom, Christ has set you free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Don't go to the old way of living under the law, trying to earn God's favor. Verse 13, he said, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Because that's the struggle with this. Oh, I'm free. I'll sleep with whoever I want. I'll drink however much I want. I'll do whatever substance I want. I'll live however I want because I'm free and I got God to say, well, I can't send you to hell. And Paul says, no, do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but instead use it to serve God and to love one another and serve one another. You see, what the new covenant did is showed us that we're not deserving of our own salvation, but God. But God, for while we were still sinners, while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. One will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How does that not set you free? How does realizing it was before I ever had an opportunity to come to God, he set me free. He died for me to set me free. The prison doors have been opened. It's your choice to stay captive, cap, in, in captivity or to walk out, receiving the grace of God. And the one question I want to ask, though, is why? Why? God knows everything that you've thought. God knows everything you're ever going to do. God knows everything about you. He knows the times you're going to reject him. The times that you're supposed to take a stand and you're going to say no. The times you know he's saying do this and you're saying my flesh is more important. I'm going to follow it. He knows all of that. And he says, I'm going to die for them. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Why? John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's why. Because God so loved you. That should be so freeing right there. Before you could ever earn it, because you can't ever pay it back, God loved you so much so that he gave his only son. Regardless of what you've ever done in the past. Yeah, but do you really know? We were just told in Hebrews chapter 7 that Jesus saves us to the uttermost. He saves us regardless of what you've done. He gave his life knowing everything. Like, I'm telling you, the deepest, darkest thoughts that you've ever had that you pray never get exposed. He knows about them. And yet he says, I want to die for that. 
I want to take the shame and the burden and the guilt that you carry around, and I want to take that and put it on the cross, canceling the debt and giving you my righteousness. So that, as Paul told us last week, or not Paul, I assume Paul, but as the writer of Hebrews told us last week, we can confidently approach the throne of grace. You see, there's freedom in that. Knowing that God loved you before you could even obey, he gave his son. It's not like God's up there just like having this, like, you know, the old uh, thermometers that it's like, if we can raise this much money, then we'll get this. And God's like, okay, if they do just enough works, then I'll send my son to die for him. It's like, no, while they were still indebted, he sent his son for us so that you can freely live for him, walking in his grace, knowing that when you sin, because sadly it is going to happen today, probably somebody's going to cut you off. And you're going to have that thought. Or whatever it is, you're going to burn your toe. <laughs> whatever it is. <laughs> Don't know how that happens. You have a bacon cooker right next to your bed. But <laughs> office people will understand that reference. But, uh, you know, there's going to be something that is going to cause you to sin. Your own human nature. And when you do, you can know God lavishes his grace upon you. Ephesians tells us that. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. There is freedom in Christ and he offers salvation to all. You see, Jesus is so much better than the old covenant because Jesus is the only way to salvation. And so if you are here and you are still thinking, I can measure up, you can't. And so I, I encourage you, if you have not placed your faith in Christ, I don't encourage, I beg you, I plead with you, give your life over to him. Because it is so freeing. And he has nothing but good planned for you. And so if you have not, now is the time. Give your life over to him and see the rewards that walking, just stepping in faith comes with. Because he loves you. But if you are, if, 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 I mean, looking out of here, vast majority of us are in the second camp. We are living in him. Then walk in that. Walk in the newness of the covenant. Walk in the forgiveness that he gives you and walk in the freedom that you have in him to live a life for his glory in everything that you do and enjoy that personal relationship that you can have, that God desires you to have, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. You have eternal life. Walk in it. Father God, we are so grateful that you have given us this. I mean, again, it's based on solely what you have done. There is not a single person in this room who will ever be able to stand before you and say, it was my own accolade. But God, at the same time, you call us to receive it. You call us to place our faith in you. And so God, on the chance that there be somebody in this room who has not given their life over to you. God, draw their heart to you. 
show them the freedom that comes in the relationship with you. Show them, God, just who you are. God, work in their hearts. And then for the rest of us who have already placed our faith in you, God, may we walk in that, in the sweet relationship that we get to have with the creator of the world who desires an intimate relationship with us. God, just work in us. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray this.